You're listening to The Cutting Edge, presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker. Hi, I'm Petra Hilleberg, President and CEO of Hilleberg the Tentmaker. My dad, Bo Hilleberg, a lifelong outdoorsman, founded Hilleberg 50 years ago, and we've been family-owned, family-operated, and European-made ever since. We proudly specialize in building strong, lightweight tents and in never compromising on quality of materials or construction. Our tents have been specifically chosen by polar expeditions, mountaineers, backpackers, and avid outdoor adventurers just like you all over the world. We build tents for everyone's adventure. Welcome back to The Cutting Edge, everyone. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal. Before we get started, I want to thank Hilleberg the Tentmaker for presenting this podcast, as well as Polar Tech, celebrating its 40th year of outfitting climbers, and Loa Boots, crafting premium footwear for the mountains and beyond since 1923. Our guest this month is the frequent AAJ contributor and globetrotting adventurer Sean Villanueva O'Driscoll. We've had stories in the AAJ by or about Sean's climbs, dating all the way back to 2006, from Pakistan, Greenland, Baffin Island, Madagascar, China, Venezuela, and Patagonia. As anyone listening to this show probably knows, in February, Sean pulled off a mind-blowing feat of climbing, the first-ever south-to-north traverse of the full Fitzroy Massif in Patagonia. This is the same spiky ridge line that Alex Honnold and Tommy Caldwell traversed in 2014. But Sean did it in the opposite direction, and he did it all alone. Chris Kalman interviewed Sean, who has been living in El Shelten for more than a year now, trapped in Patagonia by COVID-19 and loving every minute of it. You're about to hear a lot more about this beautiful place and Sean's moonwalk traverse, and even a couple of songs on the tin whistle he carried over Fitzroy. I know you'll enjoy it. Cool. Yeah, Sean, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me. We'll see how the Wi-Fi in El Chal 10 performs for our little discussion here. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to, pleasure to talk with you, man. Yeah, yeah. so the uh, reason we're here, obviously, is to discuss your insanely impressive uh, traverse down in El Chal 10. Uh, that has been dubbed or that you called the Moonwalk Traverse, which does the entire Fitzroy skyline, uh, starting all the way over on Aguja de Ais and going past St. Exuberi, Rafael Juarez, Poinsonot, Caquito, Fitzroy, Valbiwa, Mermos, Cumbre Sur, and finally Guijome. Uh, totally insane traverse. And the first time that a traverse of that nature has been done solo uh, in the range, although there have been a lot of other uh, traverses done, including some solos, but this was by far the biggest. So I'm really excited to talk with you and dig into some of the details. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, uh, you know, I'd like to to know a little bit about the climb, you know, and just go in order of how it went. But but to start with, you've done a lot of climbing down in the Chalten area, and uh, you were there last year. In fact, we were we were trying to talk with you about uh, some of the climbing you did last year, and we never really got the chance. And then 
the pandemic happened and you got stuck there. What well, what's it been like being kind of quarantined down in El Chal 10 for this past year? Oh man, it's been awesome. I mean, uh, I, I absolutely I absolutely love this place. Like there's so much to do here and such a it's such a wild wild place and uh, you're right next to nature and you can you you can just step out of your door and you're you're in in the wilderness, you know. And yeah, I absolutely love this place. I mean, I never dreamed that I would spend like a a winter or a whole year here. But uh yeah, it's been it's been amazing. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could have I could have uh, made it back to Europe, you know, I could have contacted the embassy and got all but uh, all sorts of uh, permissions to travel and stuff like that, but uh it seemed like it was uh, a lot more work than uh, than it was worth it because I'm I'm I was super happy here, you know, enjoying it here. The bouldering's amazing, the sport climbing, there's ice climbing in the winter, there was ice climbing and skiing and and um like i said there's just so much wilderness here and and the people here like uh, the 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 climbing community here in chalten is just it's ju- very very warm and very welcoming you know they'll they'll share everything with me you know and they they had no trouble at all just accepting me as a as one of theirs you know and sharing every everything with with me you know so it's been absolutely amazing and uh, i i've had a a great year you know there w- there was no covid here until until january 2021 uh, so the town was closed you couldn't go in or out without a special permit and so there was no there was no covid here in chalten so everything was was really uh, relaxed you know and i was hearing news about what was going on in europe you know everything was closed the climbing gyms were closed they're not allowed in belgium they're not allowed to go out uh, rock climbing or anything and so yeah, I I was just uh, happy to be here and to uh, have all this uh, this freedom. Yeah, it sounds like a really uh special time. Um really really good place to be while the rest of the world is kind of uh going through this insane pandemic. Were you able to stay relatively fit? I mean, I know you said there was bouldering and sport climbing and all that, but as far as um you know, doing a big alpine traverse like this, uh, did you find that it was just as easy to stay in shape there as it would have been somewhere with maybe like climbing, like, you know, climbing gyms or uh, other kinds of fitness facilities, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the this is the perfect place for it, really, you know, it's, abs- it's absolutely brilliant, yeah. And there there is a bouldering gym here, actually, but I, I I didn't in a whole year. I only climbed once. I only had one session at the at the bouldering gym here because um, there was some restrictions. There was like lists, and there was only a certain amount of people inside allowed in the in the climbing gym, and I didn't want to take anybody's uh, space. So I didn't go to the climbing gym at all this year. But um, yeah, I mean this. I mean, like I said, you're just out in nature, like with just one footstep, you know. So it's a it's an amazing place and. And uh, yeah, you can just go out and go running or sw- uh, swimming in the river or, or, you know, and I was doing push-ups and pull-ups and lifting up heavy tree trunks and anything like that, really. So, uh, you know, the conditions are very hard here. It's it's always like super windy here. And obviously in the winter, it gets really cold. It was really cold this winter, but I, 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 I love some hardship, you know, and I love that kind of uh, stuff and I love uh, those kind of conditions and yeah, I think I think it's. I mean, I think it's the perfect training, really, for uh, for mountains because you have to you have to kind of learn how to to suffer and and um, yeah. I mean, I I don't need I don't need a climbing gym. I 
I'm happy out with like a, a hangboard. I made myself uh, just I just made myself a hangboard and uh, I made myself some rings with some old ropes and uh, some toilet tubing and uh, yeah, so I was doing some ring workouts and um, <laughs> but I mean the bouldering here is is insanely good. The bouldering here. Uh, there, there, and uh, there's, uh, there's always like a, a cave or something that that stays dry. You know, even when it's like pouring down or, or raining, you'll always find some kind of piece of dry rock. So yeah, and this, this sports climbing is very good. And like when there's, whenever there's a weather window, the mountains are right there. And like I said, this winter there was uh, some really good skiing. Like there's, there's no lifts here, so it's all um, reverse skiing. You know, with skins and stuff. So keeps you fit, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So were you making trips into the mountains uh, for climbing kind of throughout the winter and through the harsh months or were you mostly just staying around the town? Mostly staying around the town. I mean, in the winter, we went into the mountains a a few times to go skiing. So we would uh, we would, uh, you know, backcountry, we would skin in with the with the skins and stay in the mountains for five days and uh, and just ski, go up, go up slopes and ski. We weren't like we weren't really climbing or anything. It was mostly just uh, skiing. And uh, yeah, bes- besides that, I was mostly here in town, you know, doing some ice climbing and bouldering and training. And uh, I did do I did do one attempt uh, in the winter to go climbing, but uh, I didn't even make it to the base of the walls because, uh, because there was so much snow. And uh, it was after like, after like six hours of, um, of going uphill, like fighting like deep snow. I, w- I was with skis and everything, but uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it, there was just a lot of snow. And uh, so I didn't even make it to the base of the wall that time. So the first time I, I got back, like to climbing in the mountains was, uh, was uh, yeah, towards the end of the autumn, I think like November or something. Hmm. And that time when you were, um, when you got shut down by the snow, were you going in to try the traverse or was it some other goal? Yeah, I was, I was going in to try the traverse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it was, it was extremely cold. Like it was extremely cold. Uh, and every, everything is just uh, so much harder when it's cold, you know, but, uh, the, the winter, the weather is actually a lot more stable in the winter. There's less wind. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, so I, I, had a, I had a very heavy backpack. I was six hours like fighting my way uphill uh, on a section that you that in the summer takes me one hour. It only takes me one hour in the summer, and now I was like six hours of fighting uphill. And uh, at one point, I noticed I'd lost one of my ice axes. It had fallen off my backpack. And Uh-oh. so, yeah. And so, uh, so that's when I, I, I was like, okay, uh, it's time to turn around. So I, I turned around and I, fo- I found my ice axe hanging off a, a tree branch a little bit lower, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a, a good experience. Nevertheless. <laughs> good. So that kind of, uh, indicates to me, you've been thinking about doing this traverse for quite some time. Was it always, an idea of yours or was the intention of yours always to do it solo or at some point were you hoping to find a partner? No, so I, I think I've been, uh, well, I mean, I think this, this line has kind of inspired me for a few years now. And, uh, at first I was thinking of, of doing it with a, with a climbing partner, obviously, cause you're a lot faster and, but, um, 
I've been wanting to do something solo for a while now, like uh, for a few years. Like I've been inspired by uh, Sylvia Vidal, who does these like huge expeditions where she spends, she might sometimes she spends like 30 days on a, on a big wall on, all, all alone. And I, I really like like her, her philosophy and her approach. And so I, I was inspired by that. And I wanted to, I wanted to live um, an experience like that. And uh, yeah, at some point during this, these uh, long winter nights, like that, that thought kind of came to my mind, like, huh, maybe I should try the traverse solo. You know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big uh, line. It's, and it's a big adventure and, 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 and why not, you know, but first I, I thought it was a completely stupid idea and, you know, com- totally unrealistic, but I thought it didn't hurt to dream about it. So I started like dreaming about it and going through the guidebook and, uh, taking notes, like seeing if I could put it all together. And then, yeah. And then one day I was like, huh, I think this is possible. And so realistically, I thought I needed 10 days to do it because like, because Tommy and Alex, you know, they almost simulclined the whole thing and it took them five days. So, uh, and, uh, you know, the logistics of uh, rope soloing is, uh, is a lot slower than simulclining. So, so I thought maybe 10 days, but I knew I was never going to get a 10 day window. So I, I said to myself, like, if, if I, if I, if I get a six day weather window, I'll give it, I'll give it a try. And, uh, yeah. One day that, that six day weather window just appeared like right on my birthday, on my 40th birthday. And I was like really excited. And, but yeah, like I had been, I had been dreaming and thinking about it pretty much, pretty much for a year. You know, I'd been dreaming and thinking about it and visualizing it and preparing it mentally. And, and, uh, yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just unreal how just everything kind of fell into place and how, how, um, how, uh, yeah. It it just everything just just happened and uh, and yeah it 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 all went really well yeah. This might be kind of a silly question, but are you the type of person that might believe that you know part of why this happened, part of why this weather window magically appears right in time for your fortieth birthday is because you had put yourself in that place, because you had been there for the whole year because you'd been thinking about it for such a long time and planning and all of that. I mean, do you believe in that sort of idea? Uh, not, not really specifically, I don't think so, but uh, it's definitely, it definitely feels that way. Like it definitely feels like just everything like fell into place. Like, uh, yeah, I just, I just can't get over it. You know, it's just uh, like if you would write a script, you, you wouldn't, you, you couldn't write it better, you know, it just, yeah. The whole thing, just all the stars aligned and everything fell into place, yeah. Well, let's get into the uh, climb itself a little bit. So um, you started out February 5th, and I can't imagine how heavy your backpack must have been just hiking into the mountains. Um, I read some of the description. Can you just walk us through what all was in that pack and maybe an estimate at, about how much it weighed? I had like uh, ten days worth of food, and uh, like most most of it wasn't freeze dried. It was a uh, it was like polenta and potato uh, mashed potato mash, you know, mashed potatoes, and um, I had some like dried vegetables and dried mushrooms and dried tomatoes. I had half a liter of uh, olive oil and dried cheese and um, nuts and seeds and dried fruit. Um, yeah, things like that for food and then I had a, I had a double rack I had a, a lead line 
a tagline, 60 meter tagline. Um, yeah, so, uh, maybe five quick draws and some slings. Uh, yeah, some le- some lever gear, nuts, and some um, some cordlet to leave behind and repels. And then yeah, and then all 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 my my clothing and stuff like that. I had a, a tent, a small tent, two person tent, a sleeping bag, a down a big down jacket. Um, yeah, some ice some ice gear. I had aluminium crampons, um, one ice screw, one ice axe. Uh, yeah, just nor- normal well uh, approach shoes. Yeah, uh, my tin whistle, which is uh, <laughs> probably the most important part of the whole thing. <laughs> the image that comes to mind as you describe this is like a clown car with just more and more things like coming out of this backpack. It's crazy. I, I've definitely never carried a pack anywhere near that full. I mean, how heavy do you think it was? Yeah, I mean, I didn't weigh it, so it's a, it's anything I'll say is a complete estimate. But I, I'd say it was probably heavier than twenty five kilos, you know, something like that. It was, it was pretty heavy at, at first. Like, uh, yeah, just uh, in the on the approach, like it was, it was a heavy backpack. Like to get it on my back uh, would take some effort. Yeah. So, as you started climbing up uh, with this super heavy, super full pack, I mean, you must have already known like right from the start that you weren't going to be doing much so like free soloing and that you're going to have to kind of pitch it out and rope solo most of it. After you got to the top of Aguja de Ais and you sort of traverse down and you're making your way up St. Exupery, something happens and there's rockfall and you get your rope Korsha in three places. Can you tell us a little bit about first of all, how did that happen? What caused the rockfall? And, and second of all, how did you feel uh, since you already knew you were going to have to be rope soloing a lot when your lead line has three core shots. So I've been here for a year and, and most of my gear, uh, you know, is, is, is worn out and certainly my ropes are all, are all old and, and used. And, uh, so before starting, like I, I hadn't told anybody about this, uh, idea that I had or this plan, you know, I didn't tell anybody, but uh, on the morning before I left, I, I told my my friend uh, Juan on whose land I'm living, because you know just just so then so people know where 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 I am kind of, and then also I went I went to Rolo Rolo Garibotti's house to get some uh, advice on the, on the weather because there was some days with high winds, and I just wanted to get his input on the winds because he's very knowledgeable about all that kind of stuff, and so I went to his house and I was afraid to tell him. Uh, I was I was afraid to tell him what my plan was because I thought he was gonna think I was completely crazy and he was gonna try and talk me out out of it. And um, so I just I just told him I'm gonna start. <laughs> I just told him I'm gonna start on Aguja de la S and I'm gonna see how far I can get. You know, I can, and uh, straight away he was like, "Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea. That's great." And he's he's asking me like, "What gear do I have?" And immediately he pulls out all his best gear to replace some of my older used up gear. And then he asks me what rope I have. And I tell him uh, the rope that I'm going to use. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the rope you need for this kind of mission. And he pulls out his, his best, like brand new uh, rope, you know, like a really nice uh, uh, rope, you know, and I could tell he was like, he'd been like saving it for something special or something. And, uh, 
and so he gave me his, his his rope that was a lot more efficient than what I had. And um, so when I when I started climbing and I started using the rope, I was like, "Wow, this rope is so good! It's uh, wow, this is so much easier with this rope," you know. And I I I I I I was very inefficient uh, that th- those first uh, days because I had. I had a haul bag and I had my backpack. And uh, so when it was like easy scrambling or hiking, I would throw everything into the backpack. And then when it was like climbing, I, I would repack everything and put the heavy stuff in the haul bag and the light stuff in the backpack. And then I would climb with the light backpack and then haul up the haul bag. And this was very inefficient. You know, it would take a lot of time, like repacking. And, you know, sometimes uh, after every pitch, you have to change strategy. So, I, w- I wasn't very uh, efficient uh, with that on the first few days, and um, but then when when I when I saw those, uh, well, actually the rockfall was um, was caused by hauling, like hauling up the haul bag. There was some loose rocks on uh, on some ledges, and uh, some loose rock came, some rocks came loose and and fell onto uh, onto my lead line, and uh, yeah, chopped up my my lead line, and there was three core shots. And, uh, yeah, when I saw that, I, I mean, it definitely, it definitely hurt, you know, it kind of, it's, it, it stung me. And mostly because it was, uh, I was like, oh shit, it's, um, Rolo's brand new rope. You know, how am I going to give this rope back to him? You know, I was, I was mostly worried about that actually, <laughs> having to give him back his, his rope, uh, with the core shots. Uh, but, but also I, I was convinced like, all right, my rope is, is shot. It's not, I'm not going to make it an awful lot further you know i have three core shots here i'm not going to make it an awful lot further i need I, like but but i was like okay i'm i'm uh, i'm just going to see how far i can get and um like my my real motivation my motivation the reason for me being up there was i wanted to live this experience of being up there in the mountains on my own and moving over that terrain and just being up there you know so 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 it didn't really matter that my rope was core-shot and that I wasn't going to be able to do the whole traverse. I just wanted to see how far I could, I could get. So uh, so I, I, I managed to kind of let go of that frustration pretty quickly uh, that my rope was damaged. Uh, I mean, this, this, this rope, you know, over, over six days, it had like pretty much a, a lifetime worth of climbing, you know, so it got, it got more and more damaged. There was some more core shots. And but somehow it held it, it held out till the very very last rappel. On the very last rappel, the, sh- the sheet tore off the the core and showed the the core for what for about a meter, you know. And, and then I, I I wrapped down to the ground and I was happy that I didn't need to use the rope anymore. That it was all walking from there on. But but uh, yeah, I mean I was. Yeah. Well, even aside from the frustration you might have felt, I mean, did you feel any? Uh, fear or concern for your safety because um, you know a, a core shot rope especially in three places can be a very serious thing was there any part of you that was worried about any of that stuff or were you just thinking no I'll figure it out as I go yeah I was pretty much just thinking I'll, fi- I'll figure it out as I as I go you know and uh, I tried to be uh, as careful as possible with the repels like uh, whenever I could I would take my weight off the rope and try to pass the core shots through uh through my reversal uh without without like weighing them or so and uh, but uh yeah i i thought like as long as i have like 30 40 meters of rope that is uh that isn't damaged you know i can just cut that 30 meters off and 
I had a tagline too that that was 60 meters uh 6 mil 60 meter tagline so i i knew i i you know i could i could i could manage uh, some kind of escape plan with with that if i really needed to um yeah but yeah i just tried to be uh, as careful as possible but yeah the plan was just to try and figure it out as i as i went along was your strategy then to just do pitches that were about that long go like 30 meters make an anchor uh haul the bag, wrap down, clean the gear, climb back up. Was that kind of how you did it? Or did you do some, you know, longer ones where you were doing maybe a 60 or 70 meter pitch and uh, you would wrap down over the core shots and you would let the core shots like slide through the gear as you were climbing up? What was your strategy? Yeah, my, my strategy was I had some, I had some climbing tape and I, so I, ju- I, I just put the, some tape around the, the core shots so I couldn't see them anymore. And, uh, yeah, then I just, uh, ignored it as much as I could really just, to, <laughs> like I said, when I was repelling, I would, <laughs> I would take my weight off the rope and I would try and be as kind as possible, but I just tried to hide the, hide the core shots and then, and then, sh- and then just kind of, yeah, pret- pretend nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who hasn't taped over a core shot before <laughs> out of sight, out of mind? Um, obviously it doesn't you know, fix the problem or change the structural integrity. But I've always kind of told myself, well, if you tape over the core shot, uh, you'll see some issue with the tape. Like if the core, sh- like if the rope starts to stretch there or if it completely desheats, right, you'll see it on the tape before that happens. And so if the tape looks fine, hopefully whatever's underneath is fine. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. I was like, okay, you know, as, as a, as, as long as the tape looks okay, I mean the core, the core is kind of protected by by the tape, so it, it's not. It shouldn't like just break all of a sudden, right? So, yeah, I mean the the tape definitely made things harder for like rappels and for uh, the solo climbing. You know, the tape would get stuck in the grigri, and you'd have to fill around with the the grigri to get the to get the tape through the grigri, and 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 uh, you know the tape would get stuck in cracks sometimes or on gear on uh, carabiners and on, yeah when it's sliding through the gear it would get stuck so it, it definitely made things uh more complicated um and it probably made things more complicated too when you lost some cams on uh when a gear loop broke on the second day um tell me about how you felt at that moment <laughs> like at that point were you just laughing or were you thinking oh maybe this is starting to get more serious now yeah, no, de- definitely. I mean, I I, I was uh, weaving my way through uh, one of the ridges, you know, and uh, at one point I kind of ended up in a dead end or something that didn't look so good. So I thought I'd turn back and try the other side of the ridge. And so I, I turned back and there was a red, there was a, a red camelot just lying there. And I was like, that's, that's funny. How did that come off? You know, and then I saw that my gear loop had broken. So, and uh, that I was missing like half of my gear. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, okay, like if with half this gear, there's there's no way I'm gonna get any further. So, so I just put my bag down, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a hundred meters, see if I can find anything. And then, and then, uh, so I, I put my bag down and started going back a hundred meters, and I, I found a, a few more cams along the way. And then I was like, okay, you know, this is what I, I have now. Anything that I've lost will just make me lighter, so it'll make my bag lighter, so it'll make things easier. It's all. It's just gear that I, I don't really need, you know. I can just, I can just run it out a little more. 
So, yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, just run out a little more. Uh, it'll make you quicker anyways. Um, tell me about uh, points and note, because that to me, just looking at the picture, looks like the biggest uh, block of vertical or sort of steeper terrain uh, on the whole traverse. Um, looks like you covered about two thirds of it um, before you bivied. Was that kind of a crux of the day or was that actually easier than some of the other terrain where you're kind of going up and down more frequently? No, I think that was, that was certainly one of the cruxes. Now, now, um, like I, I got to the base of that big, huge, uh, steep, uh, South face. And, um, there was, a there was one of the lines there that was, uh, uh like that I, that I thought about like climbing up and I, I thought about going up that line, but, um, uh, like with, 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 uh, the little gear that I had and, and, um, this, this, the, like the steepness and everything of it, I, I thought like, huh, I thought that, uh, it, yeah, that it was going to be, um, maybe like too hard or too committing with, 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 uh, the gear that I'd lost and stuff. So I went a little further, um, westwards to a, a route called, uh, Fon Rouge and, uh, the the crux on that one was more like the the route finding because it's it it kind of travels a little bit between uh, between steeper sections it kind of it kind of travels a lot and so I I ended up off route a couple of di- times on that line and there was one particular moment where I came very close to falling uh, I was roped up I was I was um, belaying myself and I think the fall would have been safe but um, I was uh, attracted by some gear fixed gear that i had seen in a crack but when i got to the fixed gear i noticed that it was actually bailing gear somebody had done the same mistake as me and went up the wrong crack and so i i i, I ended, when i got there i saw oh, this is a dead end and and then uh yeah I, I got pumped and i got pretty close to falling but somehow i fought i fought my way uh out of it i found it like a traverse like on some uh, on some undercling flake and um but i got pretty pumped there and i Came, that's probably the closest I came to falling on the whole traverse, and I, I managed to get back uh, on en route and uh, find my way up. But yeah, I think like like climbing difficulty wise, that was probably the crux of the whole traverse. Um, also, I, I I ran into some friends. Uh, I ran into I ran into th- three climbing teams on the whole traverse, and uh, one of the one of the climbing one of the teams I, I ran into was on that on that section right there, um, on that climb, uh, I ran into to three friends. And I mean, anybody who's up in the mountains right now are, are locals, you know, they're people I spent the whole, the whole year with. So they're all, they're all good friends. So it was kind of, uh, fun to, to run in, to bump into them there. Kind of throughout the third day, you're, you made it to the top of Poinsano, tagged the summit of Kakito, um, and then you stopped early, um, sort of in a notch before you got to Fitzroy to celebrate your 40th birthday. What was that like? At that point, were you feeling like you thought, okay, maybe I can really do this thing? Or did you just not care and you were just enjoying being there? Yeah, I think uh, a bit of both, but uh, it was definitely more like that I didn't really care, you know? Um, yeah, I, I got to that to that uh, notch there, the Breccia. And, uh, 
I mean, it was kind of half, there was still half the day ahead of me, really. So I, I could have kept going, but I knew that if I kept going, it would be hard to find a good bivy spot on Fitzroy. And I, I thought like that, that, uh, you know, good, good BB spots are kind of important for, uh, to get a good re- recovery. And also because this traverse is so long, it's important that, you know, that you recover well. And, and, uh, and also the next day was supposed to be very windy and I, w- I was a little bit worried about that too. I didn't want to get stuck in some really, really windy place and right in that notch, there is a, there is a spot that's very protected from the wind. So, so I thought that like, if, it, if ever it does get really, really windy, I can just, I can just stay put and pr- pr- protect myself from the wind. Cause the, that's like, the wind is the most dangerous thing here when the wind like gets really vicious it's uh it's very scary you know it, it, it the wind here is very very strong uh and so I, I i wasn't sure at first i thought maybe this was a mistake to stop there like with with like half the day ahead of me st- to stop early and uh, and at that point right at that point uh some friends were rap- rappelling down off fitzroy and uh, they they were bailing and they told me that the whole climb was uh, soaking wet that it was a uh, it was it was um it was dripping and everything and and so then i knew i I'd, I'd, I'd made a i made the right choice cuz uh the next day when i started climbing early everything was dry so i mean that was just a really lucky decision really but it was it, it was a kind of a lucky decision but it turned out to be really crucial you know cuz if i would have kept going i think i would like the chances are i would have exhausted myself climbing on wet rock getting my rope wet wet rope gets gets uh you know, uh, damaged faster and stuff like that, like wetness with the sand and all that. It just, it just destroyed a rope. So it turned out to be like a kind of a, cru- a crucial, uh, lucky decision. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, it's so amazing when little things like that make all the difference. Um, so the next day you kind of head up to Fitzroy and, and then the rock is actually dry. Must've been, uh, very exciting. Uh, were there any real cruxes on that i mean it looks like it maybe is a little bit lower angle terrain compared to some of the stuff you've done before how'd the climb to the summit go yeah so i, cl- I climbed the, the franco argentine route and uh yeah i mean uh, i just i just i mean the i started climbing at sunrise and uh, that was just a magical moment like just being up there alone like rope soloing with the sun rising and uh, it's just such a magical moment and then the rest of the day, I just made sure that I kept the good rhythm, you know, that, I, you know, I would go up, back down, back up, and then start the next pitch. And just keeping a good rhythm, you know, never trying to go too fast, but just really focusing on rhythm and just focus on being on in the present. And uh, that was the windiest day also of the whole thing. And uh, the climb was actually protected from the wind. So, so again, I was lucky with that, you know. And, uh, yeah, I managed to get, uh, I managed to, to finish the, the the climb pretty early, pretty fast, and then the you know the last section is like two hundred meters of uh, of scrambling on on like scree and ice, and uh, from the description in the guidebook, I thought it was going to be easy, but then there was some sections of like just fifty degree like really hard ice, and here am I with my like approach shoes and aluminium crampons and just one ice axe. And so that was kind of a, a crux too, you know, it was kind of a sketchy moment. I had to be like really careful because any slip there, any slip would send you like a thousand meters down. 
so that so yeah that kind of that that kind of took me by surprise and that was definitely a section where i had to like take care and uh keep the focus and uh yeah and then i got to the summit pretty early and uh yeah it, it was it was amazing to be up there on my own you know and i played some tin whistle sang a song uh had something to eat and uh yeah it was it was it was a uh, it was a uh, it was absolutely uh amazing yeah yeah uh really enjoy how you kind of painted that scene uh it sounds totally incredible um i was wondering you know since you bring up the tin whistle do you happen to have one on you right now and if so could you recreate uh perhaps a song that you played while up on the summit of Fitzroy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So this, this, uh, this little, it's a little Irish tin whistle and it's, uh, it's nice and small and I bring it along on every climb. Uh, it's definitely like part of my, uh, climbing gear kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it just, it just kind of helps me to, to relax up there and to, you know, uh, make, to kind of, uh, make things a little a little lighter you know take off some of the weight and uh, enjoy the moment and bring me back to the present and so uh yeah i'll play I, i'll i'll play a little tune for you right now Awesome. Did you have anyone up there to clap for you? Were you clapping for yourself? Or what do you do when you finish a tin whistle song on the summit of Fitzroy and you're all alone? <laughs> yeah, I was all alone up there. So yeah, usually, uh, I mean, uh, usually I, 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 I just, yeah, I, uh, I, I, um, I, I, I just say, uh, when I finish <laughs> a tin whistle, usually I just say, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. You're, you're the best audience uh, I've had all day long. And uh, yeah, there was nobody up there to listen. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, were you playing the tin whistle kind of throughout the whole experience, or did you bring it out especially? Because looking out, looking at um, Rolo's uh, topo that he made for this, I see a little text bubble on the summit of Fitzroy. It says, "Spent an hour testing the acoustics, acoustics, singing, and playing the tin whistle." Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, um, no, I, I, I think I played the tin whistle on every summit, and uh, and then yeah, usually like uh, at the bivy spots, you know, while I'm like melting snow or something like that, so so I don't have to wait. I might crack out. Yeah, whenever I kind of get the the feel the call to to grab the tin whistle and play a little tune, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of. Kind of the summit, the summit of Fitzroy was definitely kind of special because it's the big one, you know. It's like the it's like the main summit, and uh, so that that kind of felt kind of special. So I think I I might have spent uh, some extra time uh, on that summit. Well, looking at the traverse, when just sort of like from a very detached perspective, you look at it, you look 
kind of from left to right, Summit of Fitzroy, it really sort of thing, you get the notion like, okay, well, most of the difficulties are done. Uh, I've got to wrap the North Pillar, and then there's just some little ups and downs for a while going through these spires and then off the back of Guillaume and it's done. Is that at all accurate or were there some serious technical difficulties that still remain? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really that, that accurate. I mean, that's kind of what I, what I thought too. But uh, then when I, when I started the repels, as I said, that was the windiest day. And uh, I quickly realized that it was kind of sketchy and dangerous to, like I was a little worried about wrapping down that that huge uh, north pillar with my my damaged ropes, and uh, the wind uh, was just going to make it more dangerous because the wind just picks up your ropes and it throws it around a flake that's way off route or whatever, and then you know sometimes it makes it impossible to go and recover your rope, you know, so you have to cut it and you're so pretty 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 fast. I decided that uh, I I was going to stay put and and not repel that day. And, uh, like I got to, a, I got to a section two that was just like, I just, uh, just above the North pillar, uh, and there was a waterfall there. And so again, I was worried about getting my ropes wet and, uh, and then right there, there was this perfect little, um, ledge that was just the size of my tent, you know, it was absolutely perfect. And so I, again, I stopped early. That was the second day I stopped early. Uh, and I stopped early and uh, decided not to continue. And again, it, I, it was the best. It was a, uh, I mean, it was a, uh, the, it was a very lucky and and good decision because because the next day the winds had died and uh, the the waterfall had stopped. So so I could repel all the way down the North Pillar without the hassle and the difficulty of of dealing with the wind. And uh, yeah, and that 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 little bivy spot was uh, was just pure. I mean, it was amazing. It was pure magic. And I got to like really enjoy an incredible sunset where you like, you see this, uh, this shadow of Fitzroy and the whole range, you see the whole Fitzroy range shadow, just slowly getting bigger and bigger until it kind of, it kind of disappears into this big pyramid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. And I, I had this, this little spot was protected from the wind. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was great. And, uh, yeah, I spent a great night there, managed to recover well. Next day, waterfall had stopped, the wind had stopped, I could repel all the way down. And then, and then that section of Mermoz, um, was, uh, a lot harder than I expected. Uh, it was, uh, a lot of like going up and down and, uh, figuring out, the the itinerary kind of thing. So that 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 section took me a lot longer than what I had expected, and I and I only got to uh, I only got to the summit of Mermoz right as the light was shading, as, as was right as the light was fading. Uh, so yeah, at sunset I, I I got to the summit of of uh, Mermoz, but I, yeah, that 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 section definitely took a lot longer than what I thought it would. And so you made your bivy uh, looks like either right at or right before the summit of Mermos. Um, at that point, you have to have been pretty confident that you were going to complete the traverse. I mean, you had 10 days of food, right? Um, and you only had a little bit left to go. What was going through your mind at that time? 
was there some sense of pride or a sense of accomplishment or what was what was going on in there no not 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 really like i like if if any of that would pop up i would re- like really make sure that i was like uh like more in the moment and and uh, that that i wasn't like celebrating too early or anything like that and that i was enjoying the moment itself uh you know you you you, you can never really take anything for granted in those mountains you know the weather can change very very quickly and yeah obviously i knew i had a i had some margin with the f- food and everything but if the weather turns bad you know it, you know like even the easiest thing becomes impossible so so i was really i really made sure that i was uh enjoying the moment and that i was keeping my focus uh on the moment itself and uh and i i i throughout the whole thing i really made sure that 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 was my my motivation too you know that my motivation was just to, to be up there and and have an experience uh of being alone up in those, in those mountains, you know, having like, I was really focused on the experience and, and not on, on finishing it or whatever. Uh, and that was kind of very important to me. And, and yeah, through, throughout the whole thing, I was like, like really very energized. I was like full of energy and very motivated and just happy to be there. Like every morning I would wake up before my alarm clock and, and uh, just just happy and and just psyched for for what was to come. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I just wake up and all right, let's do this. And uh, yeah, throughout the whole thing, I, I, I yeah, I made sure that I was um, you know as as present in the moment as I could be, and not to think about the future or anything like that. What was the last day like? And were you sad when it was done? Uh, the the last day was. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it it was it was a. Uh, it went by i mean it was pretty easy climbing climbing wise and technically and everything it was pretty easy so it was uh it was okay and uh i mean i definitely wasn't sad or anything i was happy the whole the whole time you know and uh when i got to that last summer uh, it was just like uh, a dream come true you know i dreamed about this for for a year, you know, or almost a year, you know, so it was, uh, I mean, it was definitely a dream come true. And I just, like, I just reminded myself the whole time, like, to, in, like, enjoy this moment, you know, and enjoy every second of it. Like, so even at the very end, you know, I, I, uh, I, I made sure I was, I was, I was enjoying every single second, you know, and then it got kind of windy also uh, that day. And so the, the, I was a little um, worried about the repels. And the route that I had planned to repel was in fu- was fully in the wind, so uh, I, I I I decided I was going to wrap off the east face in this this couloir, the the Ami couloir. And just as I had prepared my ropes and I was just about to repel, I heard this big thundering roar, and I looked down and like this boulder, probably the size of about half a car or something like that, you know, just. Un- unlocked itself from the middle of the couloir and went flying down the couloir like wrecking everything and it it, it landed on the on the glacier and yeah and one and uh set off an avalanche and one of the reasons i didn't want to uh repel off the east face is because of the glacier on that side i wanted to avoid being on the glacier on my own with all the crevasses and everything but i'd seen some um 
some tracks on the glacier. So I thought if I follow those tracks, it'll be kind of safer, you know, at least I'll, I'll have these tracks to follow. But this, this avalanche just wiped off all the, all the, all the tracks like the, and then, and then obviously, uh, yeah, I was a, a little scared that, you know, that everything was unstable because of the temperature, because of the high temperature and everything. And that there was more shit going to go falling down that, that couloir. So I, I, I decided I wasn't going to go down that, uh, that couloir. And, and in the end it was, a uh, it was actually better because I, I went down the whole, the whole, um, North Ridge, which, uh, which is like it's it's more the skyline you know so so the line looks better on the pictures too you know uh i had to struggle with some wind but i i just took my time and put the put the ropes in in uh in bags you know so in a in a bag so it wouldn't fly away so i was wrapping down with the rope inside a bag and then the only moment where it was a little kind of sketchy was when i was pulling the rope i had to kind of be careful that i wouldn't fly away but um yeah i mean the yeah, I mean, if I would have spent uh, fifteen minutes less on that on that Gishomes summit, you know, yeah, I would have been in that couloir and that big boulder, you know, it would have wrecked anything on its way. So, yeah, so again, I was I was very lucky, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's just better because I followed the whole skyline down, and then uh, ended up on, on on solid ground. You know, there wasn't any glacier or anything like that to to deal with when I got down. And uh, yeah, like I said, that very last rappel, my my rope gave up. the The sheet came off the core, and uh, yeah, I was just happy that it was all all hiking from there on, you know. And that's that's kind of when the fatigue kind of uh, came into me, you know. I like I said, I'd been energized the whole the whole way, but then when I got back down to the ground, I kind of kind of felt that that fatigue and and tiredness, but. Yeah, it was just like I was. I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like it, it's just like a, a dream come true, you know, that I, I managed to 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 to, to pull this off, and that everything everything just had flowed, you know, everything had gone really well, and I, I just can't get over how how um, how lucky I'd been with everything with the with the with the weather and the the conditions and and uh, yeah, the rope holding out and yeah. I was just really, really grateful and just, yeah, enjoying it. It's interesting hearing you talk about this because uh, every time I ask you if you felt proud, you kind of say, no, no, I wasn't thinking about that. And then uh, the word that you keep using over and over again is luck. Uh, I was lucky. Uh, It was lucky. It was lucky this thing happened. I mean, obviously, there's some degree of luck in all climbing, uh, especially alpine climbing, right, with conditions and things like that. But do you feel like this was a particularly lucky climb? You think that it would be more unlikely to repeat than certain other impressive climbs that you've done? (sighs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, I just can't get over how how the whole thing fell into place you know like I, like i said i mean with me like with me getting kind of stuck here in el chalten for a year and uh you know without my climbing partner and dreaming about it and thinking about it and then this this uh window showing up with the perfect conditions um it just feels like everything flowed you know and uh i mean it didn't uh, not nothing about it felt really hard or anything. I think, I mean, obviously I had some setbacks and everything, but, 
and obviously I've got, I've got, I've got uh, years of experience in like this kind of adventurous terrain and everything. And, and um, you know, it's, it's definitely one of my, uh, my fortes is it, like one of my stronger points is, is kind of climbing that uh, ad, uh, adventurous uh, terrain. But um, yeah, I just can't get over how, 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 how everything went so, so well and how everything just fell into place. Um, I want to get a little philosophical for a second. Uh, one of the things that seems to come across in the interviews you've done about this for Rock and Ice and Alpinist and, uh, you know, just talking with you now is that you don't really seem to have been too attached to succeeding on the goal. Like it was all about the experience for you. It was just about going up there and having the adventure. It kind of reminds me of something I saw, I don't know, in a climbing video years and years ago uh, with Chris Sharma. Uh, and he was talking about how sometimes in order to send, you have to uh, become detached from the goal of sending. You just have to enjoy the experience. Do you think that translates into big alpine climbs like this as well? And if so, why and how? Uh, I totally, yeah, yeah, very, very much so. I think, I think if you get too focused on uh, on the end result and on succeeding and uh, on being as efficient as possible and counting every gram and everything like that, and every being as efficient as possible in the logistics and the strategy and everything then you're kind of like putting too much attention on the minor things you know you're kind of majoring in the minors the most important thing really for these kind of uh things especially in the mountains is is kind of your motivation and your 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 drive and your determination and that kind of stuff you know that's that's by far the most important thing you know so uh and i think to me it kind of it kind of helps to kind of make to keep my motivation pure and definitely for this for this particular uh adventure uh, it it was it was very important to me that 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 my motivation was 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 clean and and, and as pure as possible you know when, when like uh when the thought first came to my mind I you know I I was planning on doing this and not telling anybody about it you know and I like I like, uh, uh, like I didn't care. I mean, I didn't care less if nobody would find out or anything. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I knew, I knew it would be like almost impossible for uh, for the locals not to find out and for Rolo not to find out and things like that. And uh, yeah, like when I got back down to town, the so the whole world knew about it. You know, that moment you describe of coming back to town and everyone congratulating you, it kind of reminds me of something that Marc-Andre Leclerc uh, told me about once after, I believe it was after he had uh, soloed Egger in winter and everybody was telling him how great he was and how wonderful. And his immediate thought was, I mean, really like, am I that good? Or is it just that there aren't that many people doing this? Uh, it just kind of reminded me of that. Um, I also wanted to comment or mention Colin Haley uh, you know, during this period where people were, uh, lauding praise upon you, he said, in a quote, that's become fairly infamous on Instagram at this point, 
There's no doubt that this is the most impressive solo ascent ever done in Patagonia, and I can't help but wonder if it isn't simply the most impressive ascent ever done in Patagonia in general. Now, that's coming from Colin Haley, who has been involved with all kinds of impressive ascents down there. What do you say to something like that? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely that feeling that you described of uh, Marc-Andre Leclerc, like I I can definitely certainly relate to that, like especially to Colin's uh, post, you know, and Colin was the the second, you know, to to post something about it. Like I I had walked in the door of a friend's house who lives a little bit outside of town just as I got down and I walked in his door and he'd filmed me walking in and he posted that on Instagram and then Colin grabbed that and he posted his post and then the whole world knew about it, you know, but I mean, I definitely felt like, especially when I, when I, when I first read it, you know, I definitely felt like, uh, it was, it was way too, too much like, uh, blowing up and everything. Like, I'm like, uh, like, like, yeah, exactly what you described, uh, Marc-Andre Leclerc. Like, I was like, really, are you sure? Are you really sure about this? Are you sure about this, Colin? Especially coming from Colin, who has like so much experience here, and who knows? Yeah, I I was a little surprised by by uh, by his post for sure, um, and uh, I thought I thought it was a, a little bit over the top, but obviously I was very um, very touched by it. I mean, I'm 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 uh, Colin is somebody that I very much uh, respect, and uh, yeah, when when he speaks, when he says something, you know, I. I listen. I listen to what he says. You know, I think he uh, he has some uh, very interesting um, thoughts, and he's definitely very knowledgeable about all this uh, sort of stuff. But yeah, like like I said, like I can't. I just can't get over how everything. Uh, I felt like everything went so well, and um, yeah, sometimes it's kind of hard to know if it's if it's all if it's because I was just really really lucky. You know, this is a. That was a really good weather window in one of the driest seasons, you know, um, in comparison to like Tommy and Alex, who had uh, uh, they had a pretty decent window, but on one of the wettest seasons. So they had very hard conditions, you know, with lots of icy cracks and stuff. Um, so it's hard to say if I was just really, really lucky or if it's just, you know, all, all these years of uh, uh, experience and everything that just made me very comfortable in this sort of terrain and be kind of efficient in this sort of terrain. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely happy about it and I, I can't get over the response and, um, and all the attention this is, uh, this is getting, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, 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 uh, it's fine. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. So you, you celebrate your 40th birthday up there. Uh, I've got to ask, are you feeling any older? Or do you feel just as good as you were when you were thirty? No, I, I I feel I feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel uh, I don't feel any older. I feel I feel I feel uh, I feel good. I think I climbing wise, I don't think I've ever been this. Uh, I still I'm still progressing. I think, and I, I've never felt this uh, this strong. So yeah, I still I'm still progressing. I still have a lot to learn. There's still a lot of things I want to do, and. Uh, I mean, there's certain things you can definitely feel the age, you know, and maybe you recover, uh, you recover less fast, especially from injuries and things like that. Um, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, any small injury will take a little longer to, to recover from, but yeah, I just try and be as healthy as possible. And, uh, I take really a lot of care in what I eat and, and my lifestyle, you know, get enough sleep and, uh, recover well and things like that. 
and yeah, just try and be as healthy as possible. So we're here still February. Presumably there may be more opportunities to climb in El Chalten in the coming month or so. Um, how has your motivation been at after pulling this thing off? Do you feel more enthusiastic to get back in the mountains or are you kind of wondering, well, gosh, what comes next? No, I mean, I, I, I still have a love for the mountains and uh, yeah, I'm still pretty psyched to, to go up there. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything as big as, uh, what, what I've just, as that thing, you know, like, uh, definitely going to take it a little easier. Uh, and, um, cause that, that thing takes a lot of energy out of you, you know, something to do traverse like that. It takes a lot of energy, uh, physically and mentally also, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, but, uh, there's a little window coming up now for, uh, tomorrow and the day after. So I'm going to hike up tomorrow and, uh, yeah, do some do some climbing i mean there's plenty of lines here that i still want to do yeah i mean there's some awesome climbing partners here you know uh the locals here are really cool there's some uh, great locals here and yeah i'm gonna go do some 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 rock climbing with uh with some friends here and uh and uh yeah definitely enjoy the mountains a little more and i i'm the plan is kind of to stay here until the end of the season enjoy the place and then head back to Europe, like probably end of March or something when the season closes down here. Well, that seems like uh, as good a note to end on as any. I won't take more of your time since you probably want to get your stuff packed and meet up with your friends. But maybe you can send us off with one more little ditty on the tin whistle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It'd be my pleasure. Uh, this one is called uh, The Gravel Walk, which uh, it could maybe describe the moonwalk also. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're the best audience I've had all day. If you haven't already seen it, I highly recommend Sean's tongue-in-cheek yet truthful video about training for the Moonwalk Traverse. You can find this video at the Cutting Edge website. The Cutting Edge is presented by Hilleberg the Tentmaker whose legendary tents stand up to the winds of Patagonia and other hostile climates all over the world. Find out more at hilleberg.com. We get additional support from PolarTech, who have been outfitting climbers and other outdoor adventurers for 40 years. PolarTech Challenge Grants send alpinists like Doug Scott, Steve Swenson, and Steve House on expeditions across the globe. The stories they came back with helped fill the pages of the AAJ. Now Polar Tech is helping us share news stories on this podcast. 
The Cutting Edge is also sponsored by Loa Boots. Loa began as a village cobbler in Bavaria in 1923. Almost 100 years later, Loa is still based in that village and still building boots and shoes in Europe under the world's most stringent environmental and labor standards. From mountaineering and ice climbing boots to rock climbing shoes, hiking boots, and now lightweight trail shoes, Loa is recognized worldwide for the uncompromising quality, fit, and comfort that make Loa boots simply more. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald wishing you happy climbs.